Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, brand new series this week. We're going to be preaching through this Privileges series all month long. And really, it's, it's about the privileges of living as a son or daughter of the King. Right, We get to experience so much goodness because of who our Father is. Amen? And we love to talk about those privileges. right? We, we claim our rights, uh, our, the promises of God. But we don't always talk about the responsibilities that come along with those privileges. Right now, as adults, we know... Uh, the freedom of adulthood comes along with a lot of responsibilities, right? When we were kids, we thought, man, I cannot wait to become an adult. I get to do what I want all of the time, right? The adults in the room are chuckling because we know better now. Uh, we realize now that, that, yes, we get freedom to do what we want, but we also have bills, we also have responsibilities that come along with the freedom to be able to do whatever we want, right? With privilege comes responsibility. So what happens when we claim the privileges, but we don't want the responsibility? Trouble usually follows that, right? God's kingdom is no different. We're going to look at some of the privileges that we have living in God's kingdom throughout this series but also some of the responsibilities. And really, I want to start off this series with a question. Now, this is a question that I ask a lot of us as a church. I think we need to be asked it a lot. We need to challenge ourselves with it a lot. Now, most of us say that we believe what's written in the Bible is absolute truth, right? If you're a believer, you would probably say that you believe that. Every word in the, the Word is the truth, the very word of God. We may not understand all of it, but we believe that it is true. My question is, if we actually believed what we say we believe in the word, how would our lives change? It's a heavy one. Just going to let you sit with it for a second. If we actually believe what we say we believe in the word, how would our lives change? If we actually believe truly and deeply, that God has my best interests at heart, that what he says is for my good and not to hurt me, that he knows best, what would that do to my relationships? What would that do to my downtime, my thought life? What would that do to, to how I process the world around me, my mindsets and attitudes? How would it change the way I affect my coworkers, how I view my family, how I, I see even my time at church? How would it even affect my wallet? Every aspect of my life would change probably if I truly believe the words that I said I did. Our series here at Freedom Valley are usually very discovery oriented, right? We we go on this journey together through the scriptures and we discover truths hidden beneath. I believe with this series, God wants us to go on a generosity discovering mission. He wants us to uncover and unearth gifts inside of you you didn't even know you had. Passions for others you didn't know you had. I believe that he wants to stir up a spirit of generosity within us and really with this one in particular, a right understanding of money in God's world. I know it's it's time change. We're all a little grumpy today. I just had to pick this day to talk about money, right? But it, it often surprises Christians that the Bible talks about money a lot. Like a lot, a lot. In fact, there are over 2,300 verses on money, wealth, or possessions in the Word. 2,300. You heard that number right. It's a lot. Jesus spoke about money roughly 15% of his preaching and 11 out of 39 parables were about money. That's a lot. During offering time every week, you hear Isaiah say it, right? Now is the time we get to give. We, we get to worship God with our giving. And we really do believe that giving is an act of worship. We get to give. We don't just have to give, Right? We consider it a privilege to give to God. He includes us in his plans. It is amazing that he does that. He allows us to participate. Isn't that a privilege? 
some of you might nod your heads at that statement. Yes, amen, pastor. But the reality is that probably most of you don't actually believe it. Is anyone squirming yet? I'm squirming a little bit. A 2007 Barner Research Group study revealed that only 5% of adults in America tithe. Among those that do, evangelicals were among the most generous, but still only 25% of us tithed. I would guess that in a post-COVID world, it's actually much, much less. Just a guess. PushPay, the app that we use to process our online giving, reported in 2019 that tithers only make up 10 to 25% of any congregation. Any congregation. Best case scenario is 25%. At Freedom Valley, our church partners, those of us who have committed ourselves to giving here and serving here and attending here and growing here, only 66% of us tithe. That number should certainly be 100, but even that number would only be about 31. If, if all partners, 100% of us tithe, that number would only be about 31% of our weekly congregation. So the numbers, which aren't the most important thing, but they are indicators of something, say that we don't actually believe what we say we do. Right? Do we honestly see giving as a privilege? Do we even know what that means? Now, early on in our marriage, Aaron and I, we, we struggled with tithing too. You know, I, I can remember sitting down at my kitchen table like, God, I don't see how this is going to work. Like I'm looking at all the bills. I'm, I'm looking at how much we're bringing in. I, we're young adults. We're struggling, you know, first apartments and all of that. And I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can give you 10% because I don't even have enough to go. I, God, I can't make the numbers work. And I just remember sitting there having this conversation with him. And he just whispered to me, do you trust me? I had grown up in church, this church. <laughs> I knew the teaching. I know Malachi 3.10 by heart, even back then. Bring the whole tithe, test me in this, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven for you and pour out so much blessing, you won't have room enough for it all. I knew it even then, and I could hear them in my head, like, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. It's a proverb. I knew these verses. I was teaching them to kids probably by then. And I just thought, God, I, I can't bring myself to say I don't trust you. Because I do. Deeply, I do. So literally, it was time to put my money where my mouth was. God said, do you? <laughs> do you trust me? If I hadn't tithed in that moment, I would have been saying to God, I don't trust you. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I know better I've walked with God through too much, seeing God do miracles too many times to not trust him. I started reminding myself of all the ways that God has provided for me and would provide for me again. And I said, you know what? I trust you. And I tithed. I would love to be able to say that I've never looked back. <laughs> now I don't. I've been doing it so long. It's second nature. Of course, God's going to provide for me. He has so many times, but you know, the, the temptation comes back up occasionally. People often think pastors have this magical gift of faith, like, like we're not real people, just like you. But I've got little mouths to feed and bills to pay too, right? I get the temptation and the fear deeply. I do. But I also know my God is bigger. So much bigger. Now, there is this study that I read this week about how pastors view generosity versus the average Christian. But there's this, this discrepancy we can see with pastors seeing the very idea of generosity differently than most people. And basically, it's a, it seemed to say that we pastors tend to see it more as a discipline or disciplined with generosity. That is, we schedule it into our finances. We schedule it in the budget. Whereas the average Christian tends to see generosity as something you sort of do on the spur of the moment. If the need arises, if someone needs it, you give a little extra. You're generous then. So we're going to dive into the subject of generosity this month. But I really want you to hold those two concepts in your mind. 
hold them up to the word and see how it compares, right? How does God want me to view generosity? Because we're going to build on these ideas all month. And we have to start somewhere, though. So you really can't understand generosity from a biblical perspective without understanding tithing first. There's all kinds of misconceptions about tithing in the church. Some people think, well, I don't give 10% to my church, but I do give it in other places. Isn't that fine? It really isn't, actually. Not if you're talking about a tithe. The word tithe means 10%, yes, but it means a 10% directly to the storehouse. In the Old Testament, it went directly to the temple, the storehouse. It's a Hebrew word that literally means 10% to the temple. The subject of tithing is foundational to the subject of generosity from a biblical perspective. They're both heart issues. But I now believe that one is more about conquering fear and one is about cultivating a love for others. There's two ways to come at this. And the book of Malachi is where we're going for this today. It kind of confronts both. We'll start in the beginning. I'll let you see. What I mean, but just to give you a little context, the book of Malachi is essentially a book of disputes between God and his people, okay? Israel, we see them struggling after a hundred years had passed since they were in Babylonian exile. This is, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It is It takes place 400 years before Jesus came, but a hundred years after a big Babylonian exile, okay? The people are still struggling, they're struggling. And it's a short book. It's only four chapters, but God has six disputes with his people that we go through in it. And God is sort of pleading his case, proving his arguments, and the people argue back. They're a bit, let's call them contrary in this book. Okay. They're argumentative. They're arrogant. They're indignant. They are not responding well to God. You would think they would by now. They had been punished so many times in their history. And here they are just out of exile. You would think that by now, surely they would be submitted to God fully, wholeheartedly, completely. (sighs) But here we are. They're still arguing with him. You can see their state of mind in this book. Because it starts off from the very beginning. Dispute number one is God saying, I have loved you very deeply. Wouldn't you like to hear those words from God? Doesn't that sound like a good thing to hear from God? I've loved you very deeply. But the people respond with arrogant indignation. They say, really? How have you loved us? Like, I'm almost waiting for thunder to strike or like, you know, a building to fall on top of somebody with this kind of behavior towards God, right? But really, how have you loved us? And dispute number two is God saying, I am your father and master, yet you don't honor me, O priests. You despise my name. And the priests say, who, us? Like, me, God? I despise your name when I'm literally serving you in the temple every day? Who, us? When did we despise your name? They're so entitled at this point in their history, they can't even see it. We talked about this a little bit last week with Job, right? That entitlement, the pride clouds our vision. We can't even see what God is trying to show us. Most of us, actually, are so entitled, we can't even see it. Here's where I want to start reading that. Malachi 1, verse 7. You have shown contempt. God is offering his proof here, okay? You've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Some things you have to understand here. The law of Moses was given to Moses by God, and it was very clear to bring perfect sacrifices to the Lord. Perfect. No blemishes were to be on the animals, no blind animals, no lame or injured animals. Perfect sacrifices. These were the only sacrifices worthy of God Almighty. 
showed the utmost respect for the God of creation. Anything with a blemish was the product of sin and, you know, sin being in the world. And so it showed impure motivations and therefore an improper understanding of who God is. Can you just imagine? I know we don't live in like an agrarian society. It's hard to imagine sheep herding, sheep farming. Anybody sheep farmer? No? Me neither. So it's hard to understand a little bit, but... Can you imagine going through your herd of sheep, right? Say you own a lot of sheep, and, and you're searching for the one that you need the least, right? Searching for the one that's not going to make you any money at the auction. The one that, that's blemished or injured or deformed in some way. Searching for the one that you can spare. And you find that one, and you're like, oh, this, this is the one I can give to the Lord because I need the others to make me more money. This is what they were doing. This is what we do, too, though. We give things to God that only the things that other people wouldn't want, only the things that we don't need at the end of the month, only the things that we think we can spare, not the things that he deserves. And God himself calls that a clear sign of contempt. Not just laziness, not just forgetfulness, contempt. It's a different feeling. He's calling this just religion. This is just fulfilling an obligation at the bare minimum, not participating in a relationship that you feel deeply about. He's calling it out for what it is. Contempt for his name. He says, try giving gifts like that to your governor, which is an interesting thing for God to say, because interestingly, in the book of Malachi, the word governor, it's not a Hebrew term. It is a Persian word. Pekah, I think. P-E-C-H-A-H. Pekah. It's a Babylonian term representing the nation Israel was still subject to. Okay, this mean, this whole idea means that Israel is bringing sacrifices to their God, which are less worthy than those they brought to their oppressors. It sounds crazy. Until you realize that most of us probably spend more on taxes every year than we give to God. Oh, I'm required to, right? Because if I don't, I go to jail. Right. So disobedience to the government is more expensive than obedience to the government, right? In the long run. You don't think God works in a similar way? You don't think sin is more expensive in the long run than simple obedience? You don't think sin wants more than 10% of your budget? You think Satan is happy with 10%? We all complain about taxes, but we're also grateful to live in a country that takes care of us. I, I don't know how many third world countries you've been to, but I've been to a few, three or four maybe, India, Ecuador, South Africa, Lesotho. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a privilege to live in a country that cares about roads. I know Pennsylvania doesn't always seem to care about roads, but believe me, we care <laughs> a lot more than most, a lot of countries around the world. Roads and laws being upheld and uh, yes, all of it's flawed, but believe me, we're taken care of better than a lot of people around the world. The streets are clean, laws are upheld, roads paved and maintained. We have a system of health care, a system of justice, a system of safety. <laughs> Again, all flawed, but they're there. <laughs> they exist. It's a privilege to pay my taxes with the understanding that I get, I do get some things out of it. And if I didn't pay them, the consequences would be worse. I lose freedoms when I don't give the government what it's due, correct? I'm considered a thief. Why do we think God should be different? One of the most common complaints about churches is that they ask for money all the time. And I just can't, I just can't go to a church that's constantly asking for money. How dare they? Someone told me I was brave once for uh, a sermon series I wrote called Temper Temper. They said, you're so brave for tackling the, the subject of anger. Well, I think money might be a much braver subject. 
It goes so much to the heart of who we are. What we do with our money goes straight from our heart. But really, why do we think God should be different? Malachi 1.9 says, Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asks the Lord of heaven's armies. It's a specific title God uses for himself here. The Lord of heaven's armies. Why don't you honor God in the way he asks you to honor him? That's what he's asking his people. You're showing him you're... You're showing him he's not actually your God at all. You're putting greed or pride over him. Therefore, he's not your God. You are. So God says, okay, then you must be able to take care of it. Right? Like he said to Job last week, go ahead, take care of yourself, Job. If you could do that, even I would praise you, he said. Yes, God gets snarky in the word. I love it. But when you submit yourself to him and him alone, following all his requests, giving him the respect that he deserves and asks for, of course he's going to be merciful to you. He's going to take care of you because he is actually your God then. Do you follow that? If you say God is your God, but you don't tithe, is he really? Some of us are begging God to rescue us from situations. We've got all kinds of things going on in our lives, right? And gas prices rising. And, and Candace, how could you talk about this kind of thing and this kind of economy? It's not about the economy of the world. It's about the economy that God set up. His plan for our budgets. Do you trust him? It's as if God's saying to the people of Israel, you're still not there. If I rescued you now, I would be enabling behavior that's hurtful to you. Enabling some selfishness in your life that's ultimately going to cause things to be much worse for you down the road. Learn the discipline of giving God your best, of honoring him the whole way, and unlock his mercy in your life. That's what he's saying. He wants to bless you. Just ask for simple obedience, simple trust in him. Malachi 1 verse 12 goes on. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It means you're actually thinking that God is a harsh slave driver rather than a good God. It reveals how you see God. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. There are harsh words coming from God. Cursed is the cheat who promises a fine ram but sacrifice is a defective one. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? (laughs) What they did there is not a new thing. Ananias and Sapphira were part of a New Testament church that was thriving and giving like crazy to each other. They were selling properties and giving it all to the church to be distributed distributed among the poor to be given toward missions. And Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira were a couple that sold a property and kept some of the money, but lied to the church about it. They told them that was all of it. We We brought all of the money to give to the church. God struck them dead on the spot. I used to think that was harsh, God. How could you? I mean, just a little lie. They didn't have to bring it all. But they said they did. It's harsh. But this was written 400 years before Jesus came. 400 and a couple odd years before Ananias and Sapphira. What God was saying here was, I'm done with it. I have let this go on for too long. You've been cheating me for too long. 
God is a gracious and giving and generous God, but there is a point where he is also just. And he's done. Where he stops evil from continuing. Cursed is the cheat who promises a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. Used to think it was super harsh of God. But now I think I just didn't know my Bible history. (laughs) It was happening. People were lying to God about their sacrifices for hundreds of years, and God said, no more. I can't have it in my new church, the church that is now being established under Jesus Christ. It's done. Malachi 3, verse 6 goes on, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestor, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? See, the people of Israel at this time were still going through the motions. They were still doing all of the things that they had always done, the the laws of Moses. They were technically obeying, but their hearts weren't in it. God wasn't asking for a return to procedure. He was asking for a heart return. I don't, he was saying to them, I I don't just want you to keep going through the motions. I want you. I, I don't want the sacrifices. I want your heart. It's like, how many of you are married in here? Wives, have you ever said to your husbands, I don't just want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Right? And what does the husband inevitably say back? Who would want to do the dishes? Like, right? It's not going to happen. We want you to want to do them. This is what God is saying here. I want you to want to give to me. I want you to truly see giving as a privilege that you get to give. You don't have to give. I want your heart in it. It's not just a return to procedure. Jesus was the one who said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What he's saying is, what we do flows from our heart. You can tell where people's hearts are based on what they're doing with their money. You can trace what's in our hearts back through our actions. The people were saying, we're still with you, God. But God was saying, I can tell differently by your behavior. You're not still with me. Verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. And you are under a curse now. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Here's Malachi 3.10. The one I quote all the time. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Not many places throughout the word that God says to test him. In fact, there are some where he says, don't test me. This is not one of them. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. God wants to bless you. He wants to protect your grapes from falling off and your crops to be abundant. Again, we don't live in an agrarian society. I tend to think of it as like he wants to protect the tires on my car, right? And the engine in my car, and he wants to protect my uh, house from roof damage. And right, he wants to protect my things. God cares about my things. He cares about the food in my kids' mouths, right? He cares more than I do, actually. But he also wants my heart. And this is the privilege side of what God wants for us. We are not the ones putting up barriers between. He and me, between his blessings and my things. We're putting up those barriers. He's not putting them up. We're putting them up. In fact, withholding from God puts up those barriers between you and him. He's not putting them there out of punishment. You're putting them there out of mistrust. 
not talking about a works-based salvation here. Right, where, where we have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our salvation. Jesus did that on the cross as a free gift, right? But his blessings are conditional. The love of God is not conditional. It is unconditional. He loves you no matter what. And he gave salvation to you as a free gift. But his blessings are conditional. Not only do we get to not experience the curse when we are his people, but we get to experience his goodness too. Why would we ever cheat God when all good things come from him in the first place? James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. And this, finally sort of getting at the root of understanding tithing here. When we understand truly and deeply that God gave us every good thing in the first place, every good thing, of course we want to give back to him. Of course I will do the bare minimum of what you're asking me to do. When we understand that our blessings aren't just for us, it's living with the attitude that we are blessed to be a blessing Aaron and I were talking about this one time, and he said, you know what? It's like, it's kind of like cats and dogs. And I was like, explain. He said, you know, you provide food and water for them. You provide a roof over their heads and toys to play with and, and treats. You let them lay in your bed with you. Any crazy dog owners out there? Nope, crickets, just me. Okay, good to know. We provide for our pets, right? Dogs love you for it, don't they? They show up every time you call. They're always happy to see you. They show their gratitude constantly. They are eager to please. They like their routine, but they'll adjust to your routine, right? They trust you. They go with your flow. Sometimes fear holds them back a little. We have a fearful dog. Uh, sometimes nature gets the best of them, but they get overexcited or overeager, but they want to please you. They love you. They're grateful. Whereas cats, any cat people? Cats, you do all the same things for them, but they only show up when they feel like it. Only give you attention when it suits them. They change their routine constantly and expect that you show up for it. And some of them complain loudly when they don't get their way. Dog energy versus cat energy. (laughs) Right? Some of us uh, approach God with this cat energy. You give me all these good things, God, but I still need more. Some of us are more like dogs. (laughs) An attitude of gratitude for everything that he has given us. We're blessed to be a blessing. The last time I shared that analogy, someone came up to me after service and said, I realized something today. I'm a cat. (laughs) But I knew immediately what they meant. For saying, I've been selfish in my relationship with God. I've made it all about me. And it's just not. I need to repent and I need to change. Look, a lot of us approach church this way. Church should be all about me. It's about my life change, about my growth and my movement and my blessings. It's all about me. It's not actually the reality of what church was set up on planet Earth by Jesus Christ to be. It was meant to change the world, to be an agent of change for the world, meaning it's not about you at all. It's about them outside the walls, about the people that aren't even here yet. It's about all of us, yes, growing and changing and becoming more like Christ so that we can affect more change throughout the world. The gospel is not something to be hoarded and kept to ourselves. In fact, if you do that, you don't understand the gospel at all. We do this all the time. We don't have a right understanding of who God is, of what Jesus' forgiveness has truly done for us. It's not just for me. It's to be shared. Withholding from God puts barriers between us and him. He can't bless you if you're off doing your own thing. And most of us, we get to this point in the message and we're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm still scared. 
I'm not withholding out of selfishness or, or like I want to give. I just, I'm, I'm so scared. What if he doesn't provide? What, what if I can't make ends meet? What if? I would argue fear and selfishness aren't that distantly related. Fear is actually much closer to selfishness than we want to believe that it is. Aren't they really the same thing? We're afraid God won't deliver on his promises. We're afraid God won't take care of me. And so we withhold because we've got to take care of ourselves. He's not going to take care of me. I have to take care of myself. We withhold out of fear and fear and faith don't mix. Selfishness and selflessness don't mix either. And my dad used to always say that tithing tends to be the last spiritual discipline that people conquer in their walk with God. Which is not to say that it is the least important. Rather, I think it might be one of the most important. That's why it takes us so long to conquer it. It's not just a money issue. It's a heart issue. After studying this in the Word for a couple years now, I... I've only come to the conclusion that there are only two types of Christian non-tithers. The ignorant ones, who just don't know, haven't been taught yet, and the rebellious ones. There are only two. When we slack on other sins, when we slack on sexual morality, for example, we're sinning against ourselves, the Bible says. When we are proud, we fall. Pride comes before a fall, right? When when we don't read our Bibles, we don't hear from God. We're not developing our brains, our mindsets, our attitudes, right? We're the ones suffering. But when we fail to tithe, we're cheating God. And we're limiting the kingdom, the spread of the gospel. Some translations say that we're robbing him, God that we're thieves. The God who has given you every good and perfect thing. God is a giver, and he is always productive. When you put something in the hand of God, it multiplies. It doesn't just sit there. It multiplies. He is a giver. He is productive. He is fruitful. When you put something in his hands, he does something with it. So what does God do with the money? <laughs> right? Studies say that millennials especially, we need to know. What happens with the money? Number one, God feeds his people with it. He provides for the pastors, the priests in the Old Testament, the ones who had dedicated their lives to serving him. God wants his people well-fed in the house of the Lord. (laughs) He cares about that deeply. But number two, he uses it to draw people to him. Verse 12 said, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Meaning, if the church is tattered, torn, worn down, if there's not enough money to fix things, to update them, to make them look attractive and like somebody cares, then we're not fulfilling the obligation to attract the world to him. Why would people want to come to a dead and dying church? The money that comes into the church is what we use to see so many baptisms over the past few years, right? Hundreds of them. So many salvations, people saying, I'm into following Jesus, partners and and people in small groups and people returning for a second and third time. All things that we track in the church, moves people are making toward Jesus, people serving and serve teams around here, right? You are meant to be a stream of God's blessing to others as well. All of those things are made possible by people that give that are generous into the house of the Lord. We, we are, are streams of his blessing, meaning we take in the goodness of God and then we pass it on. It keeps moving. It actually flows through us onto other people. Some of us are more like the Dead Sea, though. Right? We have, we've got water sources coming in, but there is nothing going out, and the water gets funky. don't understand blessings of God and how they're supposed to work. We hoard them all to ourselves. A lot of people, we we think that church is about this life change within me, but it's 
It's about so much more than just you. Church is about worshiping Jesus and changing the world. We are meant to be outward focused, not inward focused. And when we don't tithe and give generously, we make the name of the Lord look bad. That's why God takes it seriously. It's the basis of all biblically-based generosity. If you're not tithing, start today. Begin. And then look at how you give above and beyond that. Because here's the thing. You will never reach this magical number where God will stop pushing you to be generous. People want pastors to apologize every time they ask for money. I don't see that in the Word. I'm not apologizing because it's not about me or or the church itself, the, the building. It's about all of us reaching the world with the message of the gospel. Let's give into that. It is a worthy cause to give into. It is about life change for eternity. Eternity. Imagine how many lives have been affected in this room. Our 30th birthday as a church is coming up. Did you know that? 30 years. I was five years old. My dad planted this church. 30 years ago, first Sunday in May, he's actually coming back to preach that Sunday to celebrate with us. 30 years of life change around these altars. 30 years of people giving their lives to Jesus they're not all still here. They're actually out in the world continuing to affect people for the gospel. 30 years of life change from one couple willing to step out and believe me, it wasn't always easy on my parents to start this church. In fact, church planning is hard. It's difficult to raise a family that way. They sacrificed and they built this place. And there have been so many people affected. It is a worthy cause to give into because it doesn't just stop here. It affects eternity. And I mean literally people's lives forever. The generational curses have been broken in this room. And people turning things around for their kids and their kids' kids. And they get to spend eternity dancing on the streets of gold with Jesus because of what happens in this room give into it. You can't go wrong giving into it. This is I'm not saying this is a transactional faith that you have to give in order to get from God. We're not seeing how little we can give to get the most back. Right? This is, I mentioned taxes earlier. It's different from taxes in this way. God isn't asking us for the bare minimum. He's actually asking us for everything. To give Everything. Stop negotiating with the God of the universe and just trust him. I'm not saying you have to empty your bank account into the, the buckets today. That's not, that's not it. But I'm saying every dollar that comes in is from the Lord and meant to be used for the Lord. Whether that's paying a bill or feeding your children or giving to the church. It's all meant to be used for the glory of the King. The book of Malachi doesn't just mention tithes. It talks a lot about offerings as well. The New Testament takes this approach too. Jesus acknowledged tithing as a given. He said, yes, you should tithe. But also don't ignore justice and mercy and faith, meaning there's more to it than just fulfilling a financial obligation. This is a hard issue. How do you see him? We have a heart for God's house here at Freedom Valley. We get to give. We're happy to give. But also know that God does call us to give. It is something we both have to do and we get to do. Church is the hope of the world. It is an agent of change that Jesus set up on planet Earth to reach the nations. We are meant to give into it so it can flourish. Don't get me wrong, a church without a building is still a church. We could always go back to the early days of the church where we're meeting in homes and we could still exist. We don't need a building to worship Jesus. But it is a great tool. (laughs) So many kids, youth, adults have met Jesus here. We can do way more ministry here. That is what we're giving into a tool to use for the kingdom. It is a tool in our hands as a church. And if I can be 
real honest with you, at the end of a tough message, our finances took a big hit when COVID hit two years ago. A lot of churches got hit hard and they didn't make it. Freedom Valley has made it because some of you kept giving because you have been faithful even when things were scary. We're surviving right now because of you. Those of you who give and not just give tithes but have given to the Freedom Foundation the savings account that we've been basically paying the mortgages through over the past two years. If we still want a building to meet in around here, the people of Freedom Valley that use and love this place, we've got to start being obedient. Giving our tithes and our offerings, that's just the reality of it. Every week in the pre-service playlist, I update a slide that says how much we've given throughout the week and how much gets spent. This building is large. The parking lot is huge. We have our own water plant. Did you guys know that? (laughs) There's a lot that goes into maintaining this place. I don't know about you, but it's special to me. Not just because I actually, like, literally grew up here. (laughs) But because of all of you. We get to be family in the house of God. We get to meet here and call this place home. Various kids have asked me over the years like do you like own the church I have this like who owns the church (laughs) no I don't own the church guess who does own the church we do the church owns the church like we do we have to care about this place and take care of it we have to set it up like a, a light on a hill a city that cannot be hidden a beacon to the world of love from Jesus Christ. This message isn't meant to twist your arm to a coercion to give everything you have to the church. It's literally just a call to do the bare minimum, to allow God to affect your heart, to truly see God as the giver of all good things. To those that are already being generous, it might be a call to give more, to be more generous, to ask God what he is asking of you. And I want you to truly ask that, yes, even in this economy, even in this world that we live in, God, what are you asking of me? Do I truly trust you? Do I truly believe that, that heaven is my home, not here, that I'm not storing up things on this earth where moths can come in and eat and thieves can break in and steal, but I'm storing up my treasures in heaven. I trust you, God. Pray about that this month. Ask God what he wants from you. There's a little card actually in your bulletins that you can take home and maybe put on your fridge and continue to pray about this. Maybe you're ready to commit to just asking God right now. You can put that on the card and we'd love to pray for you. This month is going to be about challenging ourselves, challenging our ideas of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we not only get to live in the promises of God, but there are also responsibilities that come with that. Yes, we have privileges. God is so good, though. He's so good. Now, what is he asking you to do with the privileges that he's given you? Father, today we just ask that you would put within us a deep love of your house. That even those of us who have been so hurt by the church and there have been so many situations that we look back on and we just don't know if we can trust it. God, I just pray that you would come into those hearts. Comfort us. Give us hope and peace for the future. God, heal those places where people have hurt us. Help us understand that we've hurt people too. That your church may not be perfect, but it is beautiful. It is hopeful. It can still be an agent of change to our world. God, help us realize that respecting your church is respecting you, that honoring your church is honoring you, that you've asked us to give into it. God, help us be obedient. Help us truly lay down our lives for the people around us. Maybe today you're even calling people into serving, to giving their, their time, their energy, their talents, to pour them into the church. 
to give into other people, to encourage other people, to build them up. God, help us not be selfish, hoarding all of your blessings to ourselves. Help us truly pour those things out into our world. Help us understand the privilege we truly get as living as sons and daughters of you. And help us pour that out into others. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you're saying, I- I've never lived within that privilege. I don't even know what that means. I'm, I'm doing things my own way all the time. I'm selfish. I, I don't even understand what it means to live for Jesus. But today I want to. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to start living for him today. You're saying, I'm in. We call it, I'm in around here. I'm into following Jesus. I'm into this life of discipleship with him. That's you today, and you want to make that commitment. I'm in to following Jesus. And you're here in the room. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? If you're following along online, you can type, I'm in, in the comments, or text the number on the screen. I'm in to following Jesus. Okay. Maybe today you're just saying, you know, I I just need to commit before God. No one else is looking around, but just before God that I, I think I've been selfish. I think I'm hoarding some of the blessings that he's given me. And today I just want to repent. I just want to tell God I'm sorry. And I want to start giving back. The people around me, to my church, to my world, I, I want to start giving back. That's you. Would you raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for? God, thank you. And I praise you for each and every hand raised in the room. Thank you that you are speaking to hearts and minds. Thank you that we can each walk out of here with something today. Because your word is good. It never returns void. It is useful to teach us, to correct us, to guide us. And we thank you for it. Thank you for the privilege of living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.